0: Welcome to the Crossroads podcast. I am your host, Andrew Vitelli. Thank you for tuning in. My guest today is Andrew Lawrence, who is a 25 year veteran of the power markets industry and the founder and CEO of renewable developer Spearmint Energy. Andrew, thank you for coming on to our our show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, Andrew, to get started, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background in the power industry?
1: Sure so i'm just celebrating my 25th year in the power space during that time i've worked for a couple different utilities as well as financial institutions i've owned and operated some assets and i also ran a hedge fund for a while that used a fundamental uh what they call a stack model for forecasting prices throughout the grid well, thank you for that
0: introduction. In April, you launched Spearmint Energy. Now tell me a little bit about Spearmint and why you thought this was a good time. And keep in mind, April was before the Inflation Reduction Act had passed. But why did you think this was the right time to, to launch uh, a company focused on battery
1: storage? So I've been aware of battery storage for many years. And in my models, Uh, the cost was always prohibitively high and the revenues earned by batteries was insufficient to cover that cost. And I I think that myself and most people in the industry sort of lost track of batteries until about 2018 or 2019. And I realized that the price of batteries had dropped 90% in 10 years uh, and 50% in five years. But not only that, the revenues available to batteries in various markets like ERCOT and Cal ISO, all of a sudden the revenues were high enough and the costs were low enough that the widespread adoption of lithium based battery energy storage made a lot of sense. And so, as a trader, I look at batteries like a warehouse. And if you think about commodity trading in general, you have someone somewhere who's producing a product, whether it's oil, gold, copper, or power, someone who transmits it or moves it like a ship, and then a warehouse which stores it, and then another uh, transportation arm that sells it to end use customers. And from giving the history of power for 25 years, I would always say power is different because it can't be stored. But this changes everything because now power can be stored. And so all of the financial models, all the option theories are turned on its head. And so now a battery can act like a warehouse, whether for a one minute or one day or even a week and store power uh, and use it when it's most needed. And so that to me was the right time to get into the market.
0: So you talk about the cost declines, which we had seen by 2018, as you mentioned, but at least pre-inflation reduction act, financing batteries had always been something of a challenge. How are you approaching this and how does it differ from others in the industry?
1: So when I first started looking at these uh batteries in early 2020 the feedback we got from private equity firms and lenders was that in order to get the battery financed you needed a utility offtake contract of 100% with a long duration and then and only then would you get buy-in from equity and debt to do the project now we're in a world where we're seeing uh lenders willing to lend against merchant storage And equity investors willing to invest in merchant storage and that's a whole new world right we believe that the optimal structure for a battery is to have a partial long-term toll and that's part of what we do at spearmint is provide long-term tolls to batteries whether they're our own development projects or otherwise and so what we've seen over the last couple of months since the ira was passed is i i want to say a three or fourfold interest in our tolling business. And maybe it's a good time to step back. We at we do really three things, right? We develop or acquire and develop and complete large scale battery energy storage facilities. We have a separate uh, arm that, that owns them. And then we have a third group which operates and trades around them. And that trading group, really their main goal is to provide a risk transfer from the infrastructure uh, asset owner to a trading entity that can better uh, deal with swings up and down in the market revenues. Most of the infrastructure investors we speak to, they want long-term stable cash flows, maybe a little bit of upside if the market goes up, but they're really doing this to to almost act like a real estate investor, where they'll buy something with a long-term lease in place and then maybe take a little bit of recontracting risk along the way.
0: And you mentioned the long-term toll. I mean, some of our listeners might not be familiar
1: with that. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. Uh, Borrowing a concept from other parts of the commodity trading world, the long-term toll is essentially a rental or a financial lease, or sometimes a physical lease, where the trading firm uh, acquires all the rights to use and operate the facility. It's very common in the combined cycle power world to do long-term heat rate call options or tolling agreements. You have the same sort of thing in natural gas storage facilities, or even grain silos, right? And in many ways, I will I will argue that a battery is very similar to a grain silo or a natural gas storage facility, the one difference being that you can empty it, fill it, and empty it again in one day, sometimes in less than a day. All right, well, thank you for that.
0: Now, you launched Spearmint in April officially. And at that time, it seemed like the Build Back Better plan was DOA. It seems like there wasn't going to be, at least in the immediate term, any, any federal help for, for battery storage. Um, and I know that that's something that the industry has wanted for a long time is, is an investment tax credit similar to what they have for solar. wanted that for standalone storage it was something that the industry was expecting when president biden took office and those prospects had significantly dimmed by the time your company was launched now in august that turned around and the inflation reduction act which included a significant financial incentive for battery storage was signed how big a game changer was that both for your firm End for the industry?
1: Well, I think uh, I have two ways of answering that. One, I'll say it was a gift too early because we had really hoped on getting our pipeline expanded pretty substantially before any federal policy came in place, but we love it. I mean, prior to the IRA passing, I would say that storage was economic in three or four states. But since then, I can make an argument that almost all lower 48 states. Battery energy storage is now economic, either today or at some point in the foreseeable future. And what I mean by that is if you build a battery today in an area where there's not a lot of price volatility and not a lot of renewables, then you probably wouldn't want the battery online tomorrow. But looking forward to what's coming with solar and wind both onshore and offshore you know that there's going to be a huge need for batteries sometimes two three four five years down the road what's critically apparent over the last decade or two in the renewables industry was that too much solar or too much wind causes lots and lots of problems for the, the grid in the short term batteries solve that Batteries are all about efficiency. It's very hard for anyone to argue against something that makes the market more efficient. And having the ability to store power really reduces the ultra low prices and ultra high prices. Uh, Historically, you've seen power in many cases go negative in price. And you've also seen lots of short term shortages where prices go into the thousands of dollars. Storage helps reduce that. But further, and this is the, the key thing, it helps provide ancillary services, right? That's sort of like, a, for those that don't know, an option to provide power on an ultra short-term basis if the grid or the ISO needs it. And what that does is it relieves thermal units of that obligation. Batteries actually reduce carbon emissions much more than on their face because they, they actually eliminate the need for a lot of ancillary services to be produced by uh, simple cycle gas peakers, aeroderivatives and such. And so we think that one, they're incredibly efficient. Two, they significantly reduce the carbon emissions related to providing ancillary services. And third and most important, they allow a multiple, on the cost of uh, installed batteries or megawatts installed of additional solar and wind to hit the grid. You can't add more solar and wind without batteries they are the missing link. And so you have a a massive amount of equity capital and a massive amount of debt capital who all want to play in the battery energy storage space. The problem in the sector today is that there's almost no one out there who can provide a long-term offtake or rental or toll. Yes, the utilities can provide some of it, uh, but if you've ever been involved in a utility offtake procedure, It can take six months to 12 months. It's a competitive process. You spend a lot of time and you might lose. And there's certainly not enough equity capital out there to have all the batteries go merchant. So we think that we're the first of what will likely be a very large number of financial firms playing in the battery offtake space. It's good for the environment. It's good for carbon. And it's also profitable at the same time. So you talk about
0: these ancillary services provided by the batteries. Now, I know that in the past, it's been difficult for battery developers to figure out exactly how to monetize them and how to use that to get financing. Does the IRA solve these issues or are there still a lot of questions that remain to be to be answered?
1: Well, when it comes to ancillaries, they're far more complicated of a product than most people realize, but they do represent today upwards of 50% of the revenue available for batteries. Now that'll quickly decrease as you have more and more batteries installed, they'll uh, sort of cannibalize each other and eat all the revenue. But at least now and for the next two or three years, it provides a massive new revenue opportunity. Now that doesn't really have much to do with the IRA, right? It's more ISO policies. ERCOT, the Electric Liability Council of Texas, which runs the Texas power market, recently passed uh, a new rule allowing batteries preferred access to the ancillary service market. Uh, it's the ECRS program. And that allows a very small change in the rules to help batteries earn more revenue than other units because the the grid operators love batteries. Batteries dampen volatility and make their job a lot easier as system dispatchers. I will
0: right, well, thank you for that. Now obviously the Inflation Reduction Act is a massive bill that I think the industry still is just starting to wrap its head around or at least a lot of questions still have to be answered. What are what are you looking at? What do you think the key questions are in terms of implementing of in terms of in implementing this legislation and seeing how big a spur it's going to be for the for the energy storage industry,
1: sure. So as you can imagine, all of the uh, law firms, the accounting firms, the investment banks are working hard, almost round the clock, trying to understand how it changes the status quo, how it'll change uh, transactions, financing, accounting. And so until IRS guidance is issued, which we expect uh, sometime in the spring of next year, there's a lot of open issues, especially with regard to the 10% bonus on things like energy communities program, apprenticeship, other labor. In batteries right now, I think it's virtually impossible to qualify for the domestic content rule. We can get uh, domestic inverters, but you probably can't get domestic batteries. But there's a lot of technical aspects that are yet to be clarified. I think with respect to financing around the ITC, that's where we spend the most time and have the most uncertainty. You're talking about a program where you'll get tax credits which can be used in the future for up to several years, backward looking taxes. The market is expecting that this transferability market will be enormous eventually, but at first, there may only be a few banks that can effectively use the tax credit in the super short term. And so we expect that those those credits will sell at somewhat of a discount to market. You may even be required to buy transfer insurance, which is a product which we've seen historically on other transferable credits. And so we think that the assets will qualify for about 90% of what they think they will get. But that's a guess. We know of at least two banks and consulting firms that are launching marketplaces to help facilitate the sale and transfer of these credits. And we do expect a lot of banks and large corporations to step in and say, hey, I'm gonna support the energy transition by buying tax credits. Now, again, buying a tax credit at a discount that's profitable. It's actually very easy for a company to do, but it really does help people like us. And it is super necessary for allowing renewables to achieve better financing.
0: And do you think that the IRA will bring new kinds of investors into the energy storage and the renewable energy space? So that's a great question. I
1: think that The biggest change will likely come from munis, uh, municipalities that is, uh, pensions and endowments because of the direct pay, which was something that was pushed heavily in the Build Back Better, uh, but didn't come to full fruition. It's only available for non-tax paying entities. So if you are a municipality and you wanna buy solar, wind, a battery in your community, you can actually get the direct uh, payment from the Treasury Department, and so we actually think that the pensions and endowments, because they are sophisticated investors that are already playing in the renewable space, will end up being the largest owner of renewables in the U.S., outspending all of the, you know, some of the Japanese banks and insurance companies, the European utilities. Um, we really think that the the sort of local domestic pensions and endowments will have the lowest net cost of capital to acquire projects.
0: Well, that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see whether we see a lot of new players enter the space there. Now, we're having this conversation in in November, and, and obviously, there's a lot of optimism. But it's funny, if we were having this conversation earlier in the year, say, early spring or the winter, we would be focused pretty much on costs, on rising costs and supply chain issues, which have not only been dogging the storage space, but renewables in general. Now they've become less of a focus, but they haven't gone away completely. What is the state of supply chain issues when it comes to energy storage? I mean, are developers still having a lot of challenges
1: getting the equipment that they need? So they are, it's less of the big items and more of the small items. I think that if you need to procure batteries, that's something you can do. If you need a transformer, that might be a 50 week lead time. And that's a pretty generic item that should be readily available. But because the whole world is really building out uh, sort of renewables at the same time, aux power transformers main power transformers, a lot of small control panels and control gear that aren't the headline items, they become the gating item in the project. And so yes, there's transformers available 40 to 50 weeks out. Inverters are available 35 weeks out. Batteries probably about the same. And so because there's so many pieces of the puzzle, all you need is is one shortage and you have a problem. When it comes to labor, uh, there was a lull when the BBB didn't pass. There were a lot of projects which didn't move forward. And so there was a six month lull where there was plenty of excess labor. Um, The minute the IRA passed, we saw the labor market tighten up considerably. And so now we are working with our partners to secure sort of people and projects for the next 18 months. But I do think that the EPC the EPC part of the business will get tighter and tighter. On the battery side, it, it's a, it's kind of tricky. You you have I think the press reports over thirty different gigafactories globally under production, which means very soon you're going to have almost a you know I don't want to say an unlimited amount of battery production available. But then you start talking about lithium and other mineral shortages. In some cases, cobalt, nickel, and so you're you could run into a place where you have tons and tons of battery factories but not enough raw materials to run them and so if you've been following lithium markets yes in the first half of the year we had a major run up and then we sold off a little bit but if you look over the last week you've seen a meaningful increase again in lithium costs and so there's been a lot of uh, well-known battery Uh, manufacturing companies and auto companies out there talking about lithium shortages really being the key to our whole space. I have to agree with that. And so I I think the lithium shortage over the next decade or at least seven years is really what's going to limit battery energy storage build out. I think the autos will be able to pay more in general and the battery energy storage will come last. So we think it's going to be a lot less installed than forecasters are saying. And when you say a lot less, how much? And I mean,
0: if you look at the logic behind incentivizing batteries in the IRA, it's well, these this money is going to go towards building out more projects, but you know, there's also the concern that if there are these limiting factors, whether it's lithium, whether it's the other parts that that are not available, is it just going to drive up prices? for these limited for these limited items or this limited equipment and not end up leading to the build out that's expected. I mean, to what degree do you think the do you think these shortages are going to limit the positive impact of the IRA?
1: The utility industry as a whole doesn't like to move quickly. Right? You have tens if not hundreds of billions of dollars invested in infrastructure. And so they like to to do large changes slowly. In MISO, I think that their 10 year plan for allowing widespread, you know, DG battery rollout is probably too slow, but in general, the utility industry likes time to study things from an engineering point of view, understand what the consequences will be. And so I think these kind of shortages, while they'll frustrate battery developers like me, are probably good for the utilities and the industry at large, because it'll give people time to create all, all the right policies, procedures, train the right staff to build more slowly, but probably more intelligently.
0: So we could see not as speedy a build out in the short term, but in the medium to long term, it'll be very positive. Is that is that what I understand?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So if, if the, the country wants to build out 10 gigs a year of storage, maybe they'll only build out six or seven gigs a year of storage right and even with the tax credit it'll really be about getting the batteries on time all right
0: well thank you for that andrew and what are your goals in terms of how big you want spearmint to grow over the coming years
1: so if you read through all the literature and forecasts in the market the ranges for the us are somewhere between 125 gigawatts and 700 gigawatts of storage we think that the real answer is probably somewhere in the middle And we think that over the next seven to 10 years, there's no reason that we can't develop 3,000 to 7,000 megawatts and be 1% of the U.S. battery storage market.
0: So that is a lot of total megawattage that would be coming online. That's one way of putting it. Oh, great. Well, we're running short on time, Andrew. But before we go, I want to hear what can we expect to
1: see from Spearmint Energy in, let's say, the next three years? You know, we're true believers in in storage on a national level. We're partnering with real estate owners, landowners across the country to help locate and connect batteries to support all the ISOs. We think that the solar and wind build out will be prolific and probably will go faster than storage. And so that'll provide us the opportunity, but really the need, really the need to allow you know more renewables to hit the grid. In the coming years we do expect further pricing on carbon. Uh, I think this week we saw Excel accelerated one of their coal retirements and so the world is changing probably faster than we can build out to respond to it and batteries are the solution. Batteries are the warehouse of power that have been missing for the last uh, 50-70 years. Well, thank you for that, Andrew. And thank you again for your time and sharing your
0: insights. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to Crossroads. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And please give us a five-star rating so that other listeners can find this podcast. Now, until next time, this has been Crossroads.